0: He had all kinds of papers on his desk. He said, do you see all these papers on my desk? Yes. He said, I've had at least 250 telephone calls and letters telling me who should be chief of the Minnesota State Patrol. And not one of them mentioned your name. I said, I don't find that surprising at all, Commissioner, because I said, I don't know anybody. He said, and that's why I'm picking you.
1: Holy cow. I
0: said, no, you're not. He said, oh, yes. Yes, I am.
1: Greetings and welcome to the Kindness Chronicle, where we hope to inject the world with a dose of the Minnesota nice that it seems to desperately need. I'm the co-host Kevin Gorg. to my right, the Maestro John Schweitz?
2: Thank you, Kevin. Once again, I know you were up late last night with the Minnesota Wild, and
1: it's always nice to come and sit in these nice, comfy chairs. They are comfy this chairs. Studio uh, that we've set up, and it's to me, it's enjoyable. To learn things and to hear stories, and we've got a great storyteller today. We
2: do have a great storyteller with us today. We have my dear friend. He is the retired colonel of the Minnesota State Patrol. I don't think I'm giving any any secrets. Colonel, you're 91 years old? That's correct. 91, going on 92, acting like 15. No kidding. Um, Colonel Letting and I have been good friends for about uh, 15, 16 years now, And getting to know the colonel, he and I would travel around the state of Minnesota and promote a program called Partners for Life, which was a fundraising effort, a $10 million campaign that we were doing to raise money for the Masonic Cancer Center at the University of Minnesota. And having the the retired chief of the state patrol looking over your shoulder as you're... That's
1: pressure right there, John. Yeah,
2: 65 means 65. (laughs) What would you always say about speed traps and speed? Well,
0: it's unfortunate that people don't understand what the terminology speed trap is. Speed trap is a location where an unrealistic speed
2: limit is rigidly enforced.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Got to make the money one way or the other.
2: Absolutely. Well, Colonel, thank you for joining us. You and I have shared a lot of stories uh, in our time in the car and you are sincerely one of the finest people that I've ever met and I, I, I mean that very sincerely. Thank you. And you've got such great stories and the impact that kindness has had on your life. And can you just take us back, one of the stories that I've always enjoyed about you or that, or that you have told is the story of when you almost didn't become a member of the state patrol. <laughs> well i was working for a sales organization
0: and uh two things that happened uh, one of the things that just one of those coincidental uh, the, this there was a sales meeting in minneapolis and i was uh i remember uh, the members of the staff from all over the state were brought in on that particular date and i was scheduled to take the test for a state trooper or for highway patrolman in Alexandria, Minnesota. And this meeting was in Minneapolis. So I called the state and I asked him if I could take the test somewhere down in the Twin Cities. And they said, yes, Uh, on a Saturday morning at nine o'clock, be at the South St. Paul High School. So I I went down there and uh, I walked in at about quarter to nine and I looked in the auditorium and every seat in that auditorium was full. There must have been by my estimate, it was a big auditorium. There must have been close to 600 people in there. Wow. And I thought, oh, I don't know about this. This, <laughs> this, this really uh, changes my chances. Competition is high. Hi. So I turned around to walk out the door, and, of course, everybody was in, was in there. The hallways were empty. So you were going to leave. I, I intended to leave. I was very close to the door, and a gentleman came around the corner, and he said, are you here for the test? Well, I had the card in my hand, and I said, yes, I am. He said, well, wait just a minute. We're bringing in some extra chairs. He,
2: and knew. So he I, knew.
0: I went back in, and I uh, I sat down and took the test.
2: And obviously scored well.
0: Well, yes, I did. I, I, I With all of the competition that was there, it was interesting, the, te- the test, and this is just an aside. It was a three-hour test, and uh, at the end of maybe two hours, there were a number of people getting up and walking out, and I was saying, these guys are geniuses if they can get through this test in 2 hours. I spent the whole 3 in that test. I, I when I realized the numbers that were leaving, I then started I went through the test with everything that I knew and skipped the ones that I had questions. I figured I'll go back to those at least I'm going to I'm going to raise my score. And uh, so anyway, I I stayed and I was one of the last ones to leave and I was one of the people that was accepted uh, in the organization. So I guess that effort was worthwhile. But the biggest thing I wanted to mention is that gentleman coming around that corner, he was a real gentleman. He he could have ignored me and walked right on by, but he was concerned, I guess. And as a result of that, why, I took the test. I, I was probably five steps away from getting out that
2: door. Would have changed the trajectory of your life. Well, it was. Had it not been for that serendipitous moment and the kindness, you know, wouldn't you just love to know if the guy had any idea
0: that the person
2: that he brought back in was the guy that eventually would become the chief of the state patrol. Now, that's also a fun story. So you worked your way through the ranks (laughs) and tell us about when you were approached to become the chief. uh, I was... uh I had come back from Northwestern
0: University. I'd been down there for a year on a, on a federal grant, and uh, this is
2: Northwestern, Northwestern University in, Chicago, yeah, Evanston. in Evanston. Okay,
0: and when I got back, I uh, I was assigned as support captain for the uh, chief of the state patrol, and the chief had accepted a job in civilian life, and it was it was out of the country, and so he was leaving, and uh, the commissioner, Department of Public Safety. Uh, called me up to his office, and you were a captain. I was a captain in, in charge of the services for the chief and in, in support captain in central office. Uh, I went up. I had never met the commissioner. I had didn't know the man. I didn't know his. I didn't even know his name. So I went up, and uh, he had several of his deputy commissioners in his office. And he asked me. He said, uh, "Have a seat." He said, "What would you do if I were to offer you the position of chief of the state patrol?" I said, I'd turn it down. He said, (laughs) why? I said, because I'm a policeman, not a politician, and it's a very political job. Oh, he said, that's fair enough. Now tell me who you think should be chief of the state patrol. So I I knew a lot of the people, and I told them what I perceived to be their strengths and their weaknesses, and that was just my opinion. And And I got done. He said, well, thank you very much, and I got up and left. A week later, he called me back. He was alone in his office. He said, shut the door. And he, uh, he said, all, he had all kinds of papers on his desk. He said, do you see all these papers on my desk? I said, yes. He said, I've had at least 250 telephone calls and letters telling me who should be chief of the Minnesota State Patrol. And not one of them mentioned your name. <laughs> I said, oh, I don't find that surprising at all, Commissioner, because I said, I don't know anybody. He said, and that's why I'm picking you. <laughs>
1: Holy cow. I
0: said, no, you're not. He said, oh, yes. Yes, I am. You're going to be drafted. He said, now, I want you in Class A uniform. Tomorrow morning at 930, we're going to have a press conference. And at that time, you're going to be named chief of the state patrol. He's going to ruffle I'm, some feathers I'm, here. I'm going over to see the governor at 430 to tell him what I intend to do. And if he agrees to this, you will be named chief. Well, I didn't know the governor. It was Elqui. I know he didn't know me. No way in the world I was going to be named chief of the state patrol. But I did as I was told because he was the commissioner. So I I appeared in class A uniform. And at that time, I was named chief of the state patrol. I get the sense
2: that it doesn't work that way anymore. No, I don't think so. Or before that. Or before that.
1: I think it's rare where politics aren't involved. And clearly, it worked out pretty well because your tenure there Ended up being a lot longer than you probably anticipated.
0: Well, the fact that I was I was not political when, uh, when Al Cui was no longer governor, then Rudy Perpich came in. And I'm sure they checked everything to find out what my politics were, <laughs> and they found there wasn't any. <laughs> they couldn't find any. But in the meantime, I'd gotten along really well with the Chiefs of Police Association, and the Minnesota State Sheriff's Association, two of the most powerful police agencies in the state of Minnesota. And they both wrote letters to the governor asking that I be retained as chief. (laughs) I had never heard of anybody doing that before, and I don't know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But At any rate, I had two of the most powerful police organizations asking that I be retained, and apparently... I'm assuming it might have had some effect on it because I was retained as chief of the state patrol through
2: the second administration. One of the things that you and I have talked about is the responsibility that comes with wearing that uniform. And to tell us a little bit about your philosophy. Well, it's
0: a philosophy that I expressed with, with any trooper that wanted to listen, and, and the candidates had to listen when I, <laughs> when I would address them. But the one thing about it, and I mentioned this, when you're a rookie, you work with a senior officer, and you walk into a restaurant, and all the people in that restaurant have their eyes on you, because you're wearing that uniform, and you're very self-conscious about it. And after you've been going into that restaurant time after time, and maybe it's a couple of years later, you know the waitress by her first name, and she knows what you want, usually have the usual, and so as a result, you, you, you kind of relax and you're not the way you were the first day you walked in. And that's what I'm trying to impress upon these people. Those people that saw you walk in the door the first day, they're the same people that are seeing you in that uniform on this day. So the idea of taking things for granted, don't ever do that. You're, you're, it's your responsibility to create the proper impression and be on your toes at all times. And especially when you're off duty. Whether you're on duty or off duty, people know that you're a member of the state patrol and they expect you to conduct yourself above, they have higher expectations from you than they do from, from any, anyone else, really.
2: And uh, don't you find that that holds true with really any uniform that you wear? No question. For example, but... like in sports, one of the things that I always preached to my children and to their teammates when they would listen to me is when you wear... That uniform, not only do you represent yourself, but you represent your family, you represent your teammates, you represent your school, and you represent your community. And when you're a person who scores a touchdown and you go into the end zone and you act like a fool... that That reflects reflects badly on everybody on everybody. Yep. You know, if you do the Barry Sanders and you flip the ball to the, uh, to the referee,
1: act like you've been there,
2: act like you've been there. And I mean, I think the same holds true with any, you know, whenever you're wearing a uniform,
1: it's about the group, right? When you show the individual, it's about the group.
2: Yeah. When you show kindness and when you, you know, are a team player, um, it just really makes a huge difference. Um, one of the things that I've always admired about you, Colonel, is I don't think I've ever heard you say a cuss word in your life. I, I made a New Year's resolution when I
0: was 20 years old. Come so, on. 71 years ago. That's correct. I have never, I, and I, and I have kept that. I've kept that resolution
2: all the rest of my life.
1: There are you can't go seven minutes
2: now. I've been on here. Oh, I've I've edited those out. That's nice. There's a. <laughs> this is the kindness chronicles, Mister Gork. <laughs> well,
0: but the point, the point, and you make an excellent point, John, about the when you represent, when you have, when you have uh, visibility in the community, uh, people look to you and they have expectations that are higher than they would have from other people uh, because you're in that position, and therefore you have to set. You should be setting the example. And unfortunately, there are people that, whether it's it's, it's in sports or whatever whatever they have a the career they happen to be in, uh, they don't they don't uphold the standards, and it makes it tough on the rest of them. There are people that categorize. If you have one bad experience with an officer, you figure they're all alike. They aren't all alike. This is, and that's why it's so important that they have to realize the, the impression that they make. It's not just them. They're affecting the whole organization,
2: whatever organization it is. Yeah, I mean we're experiencing that right now in in Minneapolis. With yes, we are the Derek Chauvin trial. Yep,
1: and and again, you take a look at representing not only your community but the police force the and the police everywhere, all over the the country, if not the world. That is a it's a serious situation because you sometimes as an individual. Take yourself out of that team. And clearly, very bad judgment, right? Very bad. And now we have friends, and we've talked to them at parties, and I've got friends down at the XL Energy Center that are police officers, and you're putting other people in harm's way with some of the decisions you make. It's no different in your position, too, with state patrol. You're representing all of them. And if you got one bad apple, it affects the entire bunch well and and the big thing is they're human beings like 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 mm-hmm.
0: anybody else they have a family, they have feelings, but they they you try to be selective in the in the process of of attaining those people. you want to get the cream of the crop well, everybody wants the cream of the crop and we always pride ourselves that uh it's a pretty selective we're not elite or anything, but we're you got look for to get to the best yes. for the best because we want them to represent the state of Minnesota and we want them to we want the best representation to the state that we can possibly provide
2: yeah in every population every population you're gonna have outliers oh you're gonna have people that uh, that are do it their own way they do it their own way um, good or bad unfortunately the bad is what gets the most well notice. especially these well, days too right That's they, kind of they the expect we live the good in. well and they should expect the good but And, you know, Look, I think most
1: of the people you see in that in that light are good. I mean, think of the people that you know that wear these uniforms. they most of them are outstanding people. Well, and that one person can affect the opinion of the public. But that's the expectation from the public. And that's why yep.
0: they expect it. And because they get it. I mean, they're happy. Uh, well, they're, they're, they accept it and they recognize the, the good that, the, that, that is being done.
2: In your role as the chief of the state patrol, I would imagine that there was training sessions and those type of things. Um, I know that uh, that you have talked about something that you're most proud of is the communication that your superiors would get uh, from people that you gave tickets to, for example. And the letters were, I got a ticket, but the way that I was treated was with dignity, with respect.
0: It sounds somewhat like bragging, but you know the, the fact of the matter is there were number there were numerous letters that were written.
1: That's impressive.
0: expressing their appreciation for the way they were treated, although they didn't want the ticket. Well, naturally, they didn't want the ticket. No one wants a ticket.
2: And I think that the lesson that I learned from something like that is not only is it important to conduct yourself obviously in a way that would perhaps compel someone to write those letters. But be a person that writes those letters. Impressive, yes. you know. Yes. I, when you encounter somebody that acts in a an ultra professional way, I whether them. KG, like, let's go back to the Chick fil A drive through, or no, the Canes drive through. You know, don't you? When you experience great customer service, don't you feel like you should just take time to to let somebody know that this person made you feel like you mattered?
1: Yeah, and I think the the big thing in our world now is with technology, it's easy to do. You know, touch of a button on the uh, on the device you have or your computer, you can send a nice note. A lot harder in the old days to do that. And a lot of places where you go and you get good service, and you mentioned raising canes, boy, one love indeed. Um, <laughs> the you have the survey on the back of the uh, the receipt they give you. Take the five minutes to give the feedback because we want to encourage some of that. The, the great people out there that are going above and beyond in all walks of life, people need to hear that. And especially right now, we're in the last calendar year. People, for the most part, have been working and bunkering in at home, so there hasn't been a lot of, you know, positive feedback on the social side of things. If you can take five minutes out of your day to make someone feel just a little bit better, why wouldn't you do it?
0: Yeah i I like to I like to give you the, uh, an example. This when I'm thinking about these things as you as you two. Gentlemen are speaking, but I remember one situation. It was about uh, it was it was it was a little while back. Uh, I had the misfortune. I was driving the automobile, and I had a, got a chip in the windshield from a truck. A piece of rock flew off, and it, it put a put a chip in the windshield. So I called the insurance company and they they uh, said, "Well, you can have anyone you want to do it." And I said, "Well, I I'm not I don't have anybody in mind." And and uh, as a result, why well, they they uh, they said, "Well, we'll take care of it for you." So they called someone, and I got a call from this glass company telling me the gentleman would be over. He came over and my he parked his truck in my driveway, and uh, he saw where the chip was and he he fixed it. And and I was amazed at I mean you, you expect it, but. After he left, I examined that windshield with a magnifying glass, and I could not find where he had done the repair. I was just completely amazed. So I went in the house, and I picked up the phone, and I called the glass company. And this receptionist answered the phone. And I identified myself and said that there was a gentleman here that just repaired my windshield. And I could feel the tension coming in her voice. Oh, because she's expecting you to be complaining. And Correct. I told her, I told her, I said, you pass the word on. I said, that was the greatest job. I said, that windshield looks better now than it did before when it was brand new. <laughs> and she said, oh, she said, you know, at, I, it's so seldom we hear this. She said, it's really gratifying to have you tell me. I'll sure pass that on to the to the driver that, that did the job. And I said, well, thank you very much. Five but, minutes. They expect the other. Well, you know, and some, oh, somebody of will ten. be angry enough to call, but they don't necessarily feel good enough. I, I, I gratified.
2: And uh, another thing I admire about uh, Colonel Letting is he uh, he had to go in and call on his phone because he certainly wouldn't be going to his computer or his laptop.
1: That's because.
2: Okay. He's the only human being I know without an email address.
1: My dad would be in that list as oh, well.
2: It, no email address. No
1: email. No internet. Nothing. At what a wonderful residence. feeling. No, I have. no I cable TV. Don't. Oh, hold and on. And that's where I get off. Nobody. <laughs> uh, what
0: I find. What I find so interesting is I get. Scammers calling me on their uh, on, oh. on my on my landline telling me that my computer needs to be upgraded.
1: <laughs> you must get a good chuckle out of that.
0: Uh, yeah, I, uh, and I should contact a certain number immediately. And I'm thinking <laughs> that'd be fine. So I hung up the phone. This is this is back when Audrey was still with me. She passed away. Be Great a, woman. Yeah, 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 she was. Anyway, uh, I'd hang up the phone. and I'd say, Audrey, we're getting a. We're getting a, a, a computer. <laughs> she said, what do you mean we're getting a computer? I said, well, I just got a telephone call. We're supposed to fix a computer. I said, it hasn't arrived
2: yet.
1: <laughs> it's on its way. Yeah.
2: Well, the, what you just experienced there is, uh, is life with the colonel. I'm going to uh, sign off before we get into any Oli and Lena jokes. Uh-oh. Because, uh, go ahead, let's just have one.
0: Uh, well, uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> Buckle See, up. Oli and Lena lived down by the river, and every morning, Oli would squat on his front porch. And he'd look across the river, and he'd say, you know, Lena, I'd like to go over and just beat the tar out of that Swede. She said, Oli, why would you want to do that? You don't even know him. She said, I don't. He said, it doesn't make any difference to me. He's a Swede. That's enough for me. <laughs> so one day, a bridge crew came through, and they built a bridge across the river. And Lena said, well, Oli, if you want to go over there and take that Swede on, why— You go right ahead, they got the bridge over there. He said, you betcha, Lena, I'm going. He said, tell me, uh, what's that Swede's name? And Lena said, his name is Clarence. So Ole went over to the bridge and he stood there for the longest time. Finally he came back and Lena said, well, Ole, I thought you were gonna go over there and take that Swede on. And Ole said, oh, Lena, he says, I'm not going over there. She said, why not? He said, I got a big sign up on the bridge, it says Clarence, 13 feet, six inches.
2: (laughs) And with that, thank you, Colonel, for your uh... one last piece (laughs) of advice. One last piece of advice. Never
0: lose your sense of humor because you never know when you're going to need it. Well, that's uh, that's something
2: that we don't have to worry about with you. That's for sure. Great advice. Well, thank you, Colonel. Kevin, uh...
1: what can I say? I've learned a lot today. I've laughed a lot today. It's a great start.
2: And uh, you're going to start taking those surveys while you're eating your chicken fingers. I love those It'll chicken fingers. It'll slow you down. It'll allow you to savor them a little longer.
1: Which is healthier.
2: It is health healthy.
1: And you'll make someone's day. And you'll make when you someone's day. you get those day. surveys and you get good service, folks, this is our advice on the Kindness Chronicles. Take the five minutes to make someone feel good.
2: Make their day. <laughs> and not the Clint Eastwood version. Go ahead, of make my Make my day. All right. And off we go.